Shelby and Matt. I'm sitting here in a room in New York City, and I'm wondering to myself, what has happened to my co-host? Is she dead? Is she alive? Follow <sighs> me on this mystery, and we'll, it'll take us to a small town in Utah, <laughs> to a large city in Texas, and some places that are uh? a mystery even to me at this point. <laughs> Okay, I'm not good at this, but <laughs> you need to go deeper. You need to deeper, you know, like deeper. a darker voice, yeah, like a more serious, you know, channel your inner NPR. The things you'll learn about yes, Shelby Boyer will <laughs> disturb you. <laughs> exactly, that's perfect. But let's be real: if one of us was to go missing, it'd probably be you. Um, yes, that's true. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, but no, I mean, this is a really important time for us to really dig into our chosen medium. Um, we're excited to break open the world of podcasting in this meta commentary from none other than BJ Novak. Yes. Yes. BJ Novak released a new movie. Uh, this is this is one of the, our classic, uh, there's really nothing going on at the theaters week, so we were... <laughs> Uh, sent a little deeper down the uh, the roster of films that came oh, out yeah. to watch this BJ Novak um, sort of true crime podcast uh, film. Let's call it a comedy, yeah. Yes, yes. It's a comedy. It's sort of a spoof on true crime podcasts or a satire, if you will. Yeah. Um, Commenting I, on the commentary. Yes. I saw this back in Tribeca, so it's been... <laughs> A couple months since I've seen it, so the I details are a little fuzzy. I wanted to avoid this. I'm not a big BG Novak fan, um, and also I wish I had done like Googled like what TV shows, what movies are coming out. Please give me anything else. And I realize now we should have done not okay, um, which I talked. I feel about. like we should have actually done the Gray Man. Oh yes, that was I a fun one too. That yeah. See, I it's hard to predict I, what will stand out on these streaming is. sites because Netflix drops movies every two hours. Right. And so we just – we made a decision and maybe this will be our goldfinch of 2022 where no one else saw this. I mean, I don't think that this is up against necessary. Like, I, I – I just like think people, it's like indie, so it's hard. Yes. I don't feel like our audience is maybe no. going to go to the theater I don't to watch think this. So. <laughs> but I'm also not sure how many people are watching Not Okay either. Like yeah. on Twitter, I think they are, but yeah. I don't know in real life. I feel like in real life, people are watching The Gray Man, but also <laughs> I don't know how much there is to discuss with that. Yeah, yeah. Either. Well, so the trash it's dash hard. alone would take 20 minutes to def- to figure out is it hot or is it not? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't but watched anyways. either of those yet. But we're on this. So wait, okay, let's talk about B.J. Novak then. I BJ guess before Novak. we get into the movie, because I 
um, famously not a fan of The Office, right. which I feel like is his biggest claim to fame. Yes. Um, he has sort of a long-standing friendship, relationship, something, yeah. something with Mindy Kaling, worked on the Mindy Project with her. He has a children's book that is a huge bestseller. <sighs> but which otherwise, I, yeah. I feel like I don't understand. Like, he is a famous person, yes. but I'm sort of confused as to for what, aside from just that he's in The Office. Well, he's not only in the office, he helped write the office. So he's a writer. He's like a Mindy Kaling type, um, and they have their situationship. But I think the perfect encapsulation of BJ Novak and my irritation with him, like obviously on the grand scheme of celebrity, he probably isn't the worst, right? We can just say that. He hasn't, no, the worst to our knowledge, <laughs> slapped anyone. He hasn't you know, assaulted anyone. But he had this article came come out recently. Oh my gosh. And he said, um, how did he phrase it? Uh, the worst thing about his resume is that he went to Harvard and it's like the worst thing for a comedian to have on their resume because it's just like so embarrassing and he's just so embarrassed that he has this on his resume and he won't talk about it because it's just like so embarrassing and it's just that is the you know that's the energy he brings to a room I feel like is exactly who he is in this movie even and sure he's quote-unquote skewering himself and the New York you know douchebag type but I just I just don't get the appeal <laughs> and that scene in this movie too. The sort of like self-aware Brooklyn comedy bro is mm. definitely a vibe that mm. I have encountered a lot in New York and mm. especially when I did improv encountered a lot. It's hard to, it's sort of hard to critique because I feel like they are in and of themselves so meta and so like, thinking about them like there's so many levels that you it's hard to kind of like undercut it but at the same time it's obviously a very specific type of person who is like annoying in their like meta-ness um I had a previous roommate who was of this variety and was so insufferable to be around (laughs) um the uh, I think the 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 Harvard thing. Um, I'm glad that someone has caught on to that because I do feel like going to Harvard is sort of embarrassing. Like, I mean, <laughs> no, obviously it's extreme privilege, been... but like, no, imagine no. being like, like the audacity of you as a as a person being like, yeah, I'm gonna go to Harvard, and then everybody knows that everyone who goes to Harvard just talks about it all the time. Like, it is a meme to go to Harvard, and I would not do so. Unless, yeah, I don't think I Okay. <laughs> but, okay, I found the real quote. As he said, it, it's just like this need to be literally the underdog, as he says. He's like, comedy yes. is an underdog profession. You're speaking up for the underdog. But Harvard makes people think you're in a different category. And it's just like you you are in a different category, not because of Harvard, but also Harvard opens the doors for you in so many ways that is proven by you getting this like writing gig young on the office and whatever like so many comedians come from Harvard that it's laughable to pretend that that's somehow holding you back and yet he's so desperate to be to have this like I don't know this albatross or something he has to carry that's like oh look what I've overcome almost when it's like calm your nerves dude like you're 
you're getting by without, to your point, doing almost anything. <laughs> like, what has he been doing for the last five years? I don't know. Because um, I do not understand the appeal of his children's book. I I refuse to buy it for Penny. I don't know where this deep resentment for him comes. Well, he's um, a white guy. Yeah, there is that. And <laughs> on top of that... Who is privileged. Yeah. He, he... So I went into this movie... Uh, to pivot back to the point of this show, I went into this movie pretty um, not interested. Shocking. And um, and then I was surprised by like, okay, I kind of like it. I can kind of like get to the charm. There's a lot about it that's kind of annoying, uh, starting with the John Mayer cameo. But I got to say the ending really pissed me off. <laughs> I... So the the crux of this movie is mm. that BJ Novak is playing a character named Ben who is like an aspiring podcaster of the most annoying variety. He's like trying yeah. to pitch a show to Issa Rae who is like the producer or head of uh like NPR or wherever it is yeah. that they're working. And he's trying to pitch her a show and she's like that sounds stupid it's not about anything it's sort of just like pontificating talking out your ass like come back <laughs> to me when you have an actual show he is a he gets a phone call one evening from the um like relatives of a girl that he has had a one night stand with who say that he has died or she has died and that um, she claims that he was her boyfriend and that they were very close and that they're going to uh, bring him down for the funeral because she loved him so much. And he is sort of just very shocked by this because he does not even remember who this woman was, but kind of gets talked into going down to Texas, like rural Texas, where this girl's funeral is going to be. He stays with the family. And then while he's down there, he has the idea that, oh, wait, this might actually be an interesting podcast. I'm going to record everything. It's going to be kind of true crimey. I'm going to try to find what happened to my girlfriend slash this one night stand. I'm going to interview the members of the family, get some local color, go to a rodeo, do all of the things that like an S-Town kind of podcast mm -hmm. would do. And, and, and try to, you know, get success off of this weird incident. Issa Rae is on board. She's he's sending her files back. And then, you know, as, as happens in this kind of movie, he ends up getting attached to the family. They find out that he's basically trying to use them. Um, and yeah. And then at the end we figure out what actually happened to the girl, but that's the, uh, that's sort of the setup. And I feel like, yeah, I had, I did not, I didn't go into it with an anti-BJ Novak sentiment, but I also did not go into it like with, I didn't really know what the movie was about at all. Yeah. So I kind of just went in blindly and I found him very annoying in the first part. I did like the fact that they were sort of making fun of these like liberal elite people who are so like just fascinated by um, normal everyday people in red states like they're just shocked by their existence yeah. when it's like oh well this is how probably you know half or more than half of the country lives and you know not everybody is a wealthy Harvard grad as you will <laughs> um, so I like that sort of I thought that the performances were really fun in it but yes it did sort of I feel like fall apart kind of <laughs> in the ending which I don't do you want to talk about that now or well I mean yeah, it's kind of just like 
it was a it was like a character piece, right? Like it's very much it's not necessarily about an actual true crime because he clearly doesn't believe there was anything nefarious and the way he pitches it is oh, these people are delusional and they are delusional because the truth about their sad, pathetic lives is too hard to face yes. because she OD'd in this field after a party and her family insists that she never did drugs, so it must have been something nefarious. And so then the movie kind of follows this lackadaisy, uh, kind of meandering style where it's really just him trying to piece together something, but the something keeps changing you get like red herrings of, well, maybe she did actually get murdered. And then, um, yeah, it was kind of funny because, you know, he is unlikable. And I think they do a good job of being like, this guy is meant to be unlikable. And even in his redemption, he'll still be very unlikable because he can only grow so much in a two-week period. But I felt like it, it just like, it was interesting watching it, first of all, in Texas. Obviously, I'm in Houston. I'm not in the rural, you know, uh, football-obsessed, whatever, small-town vibes. But it did feel like, is this really true to it, or is he still just perpetuating weird stereotypes? But then is that perpetuation of stereotypes sort of the point? And it did feel like this meta-commentary. And it was like, oh, well, this is fun. Like, it's it takes these stereotypes, but then it also like humanizes them. So each character feels real by the end instead of just a cliche. And the most charming moment is realizing like this family shows up for him in a way that no one else has in his real life. Like he bragged about liking being alone, not liking commitment at the beginning, and then realizing like, oh, these people all showed up when I had this car accident, this car blow up in my face. Isn't this fun? But then the like shift in tone is really when he realizes they lied to him. And even though he had spent the whole movie profiting off of their, you know, delusions and obsessions and using them for his own clout. The instant it's revealed that they misled him, he gets so pissed and throws this tantrum where he's like, I came here to make fun of you. You guys suck. She obviously killed herself. She was, she had been addicted to drugs and you lied to me and played me for the fool. And now I'm just going to read you all a new one and like call you out for your Wait, Remind hickness. me how they misled him. Oh, because they they told her <laughs> they told him that she'd never touched an Advil, she'd never done drugs. Oh yes, but... and then it turned out, oh, actually, she was a pretty heavy yes. drug user. Yes, okay. And so the whole idea was kind of blown up in his face, and mm -hmm. he gets mad at them, and they're like, "Wow, dude, like we gave you a chance, even though you didn't even like you clearly didn't even want to come to her funeral, you didn't even know her right. type thing." And so he's kind of on the outs, and then gets this big moment. There's this twist where instead of him having to sit with himself and feel guilty for what he lost and what he cost them, he he unpacks this final clue that sort of turns the movie into this, I don't know, kind of film noir gotcha moment. And that whole sequence really confused me because he he finally unlocks the phone, realizes that she'd been having this secret affair with someone. And the reason her family thought she he was the boyfriend is because she put his name as the secret boyfriend's contact. So the 
no one in the family would know that she was actually done, done, done hooking up with the producer who's played by Ashton Kutcher, who was very clearly meant to be the um, smarmy bad guy in the end. And they have this weird showdown. And that's where I was like, huh, what's happening? Like, it feels like we have lost the plot somehow because, I mean, it was literally so shocking, so good for him. He got that shock factor. But basically, as I understand it, is he was bad news. He got her into drugs and then left her to die after Odin, even though she called for help. She asked for help and he left her there. And so now BJ Novak is like, I've got you on tape. I'm going to put this in the podcast and your life's going to be ruined. And he gets to go on this long, masculine, bro-y monologue about how oh, sure, I'll get in trouble for a little, but our society is so obsessed with regurgitating and hypothesizing and redeeming and destroying that it'll just be a story that's played over and over until suddenly I'm the good guy and you're the villain for coming down here. And after all, I didn't. there's a difference between killing someone and letting someone die, so it's no big deal. I don't think you'll want to ruin your chances just to give me five minutes of bad news. And then B.J. Novak shoots him in the face. Yeah. And then they sort of like... <laughs> just pretend. shoots him. Yeah, they're like... Well, we're just murders him. Here. Just yeah. murders him. He deletes the podcast. He decides to live his life um, without trying so hard to be famous, I guess. And to realize like it wasn't worth it. And what he gained was more important, which was, I guess, quote unquote, vengeance. I... I mean, so I, this, I think that the, what he's trying to say at the end of it is like, we are so fixated, especially in this true crime narrative with like taking these real life stories and packaging them in different ways and then doing think pieces on it and doing think pieces on the think pieces. And it's like, it spirals around in this court of public opinion where you get to the point where like really no one is the bad guy and no one is the good guy because we've had so many different and we're pointing in different directions and, Oh, it's the opioid crisis. And it's actually, no, it's the liberals. It's the, and that rather than having taking a real life story and putting it through all of this, you know, rigmarole to try to tell it or spin it to just kind of like let the story to let what happened have happened and to move on in with it, like in life and let it just like be a piece of time rather than to try to keep going back and rehash this story. But I don't, yeah, the fact that he just kills the person, even though Ashton Kutcher is obviously a bad guy, the fact that he kills him and then just moves on and we're all supposed to be like, okay, yeah, like that was a satisfactory ending is frustrating because then it makes you question like, well, then was, is the point of this that BJ Novak's character is just as bad is like what's like what sort of what's the takeaway from this aside from like everybody's actually kind of shit. <laughs> yeah, it just felt like uh, it like I get his point of the movie. Like I get the what he's trying to say and like uh explore. And all those themes are interesting parts of like uh sussing out the purpose of humanity and 
uh, relationships and, you know, all of that. But it feels like it was holding its punches back for most of it. Like it never really fully explored why Ben is such an asshole and what – like it was so – centered on him, obviously, uh, as the main character and as the, you know, perspective, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But it never had to, like, destroy or break him down in any way. And so to have this aha moment result in him thinking, it, it just felt so egomaniacal to have a character be like, I don't like what this person is saying about me, about society, about world, about my work. So I'm going to shoot him in the face. And it's just like obviously more complex than that. And obviously he had more skin in the game with feeling for this family or whatever. But well, And the other guy had murdered people. So Yeah. But still, you can't go around shooting people. <laughs> yeah. It just... Wait, he it... murdered people? Well, the I mean, he, he was like leaving these women for dead oh, in the yeah, oil yeah, field. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess yeah. not like killing them, but right, he would right, get right. them like high on drugs and then just like dispose of them. Yeah, which is yeah, obviously awful. And I think there could have been something more interesting in Ben seeing seeing himself in that character, this dismissiveness, the way he just abandons women, like, you know, ignores texts, like ghosts people because he doesn't want to commit. He doesn't want to deal with the with the damage side, with the hard stuff. Like at the beginning with John Mayer, he says, I don't want to commit to something I can't get out of type thing. And yet in the end, it just was meant to feel like almost a Liam Neeson style um, retribution, like this Ashton Kutcher character got its just rewards. And sure, BJ Novak gave up his podcast and his claim to fame and his and his rising star, but he didn't really lose anything and nothing was gained. Like it just felt like so lazy for this white dude to be faced with the systemic issues of the day and just decide, you know what? I don't want to really unpack this right now. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to and <laughs> appreciate the nuance here. I'm just going to shoot him in the head. Well, I think that this sort of go like the not wanting to commit to something like I think also goes back to what we were talking about the the kind of like comedy bro like the yeah. Harvard sort of aesthetic of if you're too earnest about something or you go full in on something, it's very easy to critique and I think to have people critique you and so I think part of that whole like aesthetic is kind of always like undercutting yourself, always being meta, always being a little self-deprecating, but not in a way that's actually like investigating yourself, but sort of in a way that's saying like, you can't say anything bad about me because I sort of like made the joke first. Right. And so by doing that, I'm kind of making myself untouchable in a lot of situations. Mm -hmm. And I felt like this movie was sort of doing that too. Where instead of make taking a firm stance on something, it kept sort of like make saying something and then like self critiquing and then saying something else and then self critiquing to the point that where yeah you got to the end and there was sort of like no message to be had because every version of the message that the movie could have sent it ended up like undercutting in some way and so you end up with just sort of this meandering thing that kind of is like hinting at stuff and and making claims, but then never really following through with them. And then the ending is sort of just like obliterates everything that's happened yeah. before. 
and you're left with something that like is sort of satirical, is clever, is funny, but also feels just totally like, empty. Yeah. Where I think something like everything everywhere all at once earlier this year is, is not cynical really at all. It's very, very earnest from the jump and it's tying all of these things together for a very specific sort of like, I would say cliched message of mm-hmm. like family's the most important thing, like loving other people's the most important thing, which is a message I think that this movie and BJ Novak would have a hard time like going for because it's too on the nose. Yeah. But instead, I think it that makes this a worse movie because there's not like anything at the at the end. It's like sand in your hand. Like it's, yeah. at the end of it, it's all fallen out and even any sort of critique on privilege that he would be wanting to do isn't there i feel like him well, it's like literally from... circumvented because he has right. the privilege of freaking murdering someone and knowing he'll get away with it i feel like he should like as someone from harvard who's in comedy who like obviously <laughs> like has privilege and i think understands that in some right capacity even if it's not fully i feel like the type of comedy you need to lean into is the comedy that's like very actively like punching at privilege you know yeah. like i think that shit's creek like didn't like sort of pivoted at this point but like i think that's kind of what it was at the beginning and why like dan levy was apt to write it because it's like he is privilege coming from that position he's saying like hey like let's yeah. Kind of take a look at this. I mean, the the series changed as it went on, but I I feel like BJ Novak would be better off like writing something that's more fully like a critique of that of like the a higher social class than and being like funny and satirical yeah. than doing something like this, which feels convoluted. Well, because most of the jokes were still at the expense of like oh, these hicks in Texas love Whataburger but can't explain yeah. why. And like, oh, look at these dummies at the at the fair just standing their, you know, team, whatever. It was just like... I will say, though, that I have... This movie taught me that thing about the... Uh, how six hand. flags, one oh, of them yes. is actually the Confederate flag. Very and how And I was looking... Okay, so I was... For anyone who doesn't know, Six Flags, the theme park chain is a reference to the six flags of Texas, which I did not realize was a thing, but I guess is a prominent symbol in Texas, which are are like the six countries or provinces or whatever that have like um, overseen the land of Texas throughout history. So this is like uh, Spain, the United States, Mexico, Mexico, Texas. But one of them is the Confederate. (laughs) states of america so one of the six flags is just flying all over the place in texas and is a reference for six flags the amusement park is the confederate flag and i was looking this up and i was like this feels interesting to me because they are flying these around texas supposedly and yet one of them is the confederate flag but i haven't heard much hullabaloo about this I and i looked it up it. online and it's because in a lot of places they've gone back and drug up some old version of the confederate flag <laughs> that's not as recognizable and they fly that around instead so anybody who's driving by is like ah, i don't you know it's like what are these flags like i don't know so more historically accurate but maybe for the wrong intentions <laughs> what do you mean Oh, because the Confederate flag, as we know it, wasn't actually the flag that was flown. It was one that was designed after. 
um, oh, because really? there were so many Confederate flags, like each different battalion basically had their own design. And so it's that's used as a point to be like, this flag isn't actually representative of what you think it is. You just think it's historical, but it's if you cared about the history, it's not actually the historical flag. So that argument's invalid, like, you know, sort of meant to be a gotcha in your own stupidity. But but yeah, uh, so that's pretty <laughs> That's sad and funny and uh, disturbing all at once. But well, and then I was also like, wasn't like the state of Texas was owned by lots of Native American tribes. For oh, a long right. Time. Yeah. There should be I'm like, like 37 flags. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this feels I mean, I don't I don't even yeah. know if the if the flags were even a thing. Right. But I'm like the it feel it to say like, ah, oh, these are the six, it's like, well, yeah, I think we're missing a big a, part of this, actually. Yeah. yeah. Texas loves to I don't know, rewrite their history, glorify their history, which I think, you know, again, the funny joke about, oh, you didn't even win the Alamo, but you don't forget it type thing. Like that's sort of the interesting image of Texas as this like underdog, dark horse, like we do our own thing. We have to fly our flag as the same level as the US flag because like we are our own nation. Like, you know, it's it's a continued part of the uh what's the term, like personality of Texas at large. And so it was interesting that this movie kept coming back to punching down at Texas at large, which I think, you know, it's sure easy to criticize. But to your point, it does make it hard to kind of feel like the through line is actually that Ben is the problem and this elite is out of touch and is passing judgment on people who are actually maybe better than him in a lot of ways. And it doesn't really fully invest in what it wants to say, like similar to something like Parasite, which clearly has a message about the haves and have nots and essentially the culture of Korea, especially, but just like, uh, you know, society at large and the growing space between the elite and the uh, underprivileged. And that movie has some weird spicy moments where, you know, oh my gosh, this family's living under this uh, house. And it, and it, and there's, there's time for jokes and levity and there's time for seriousness. And the movie itself has a very pretty like sporadic plot where it's following people more than like a rising falling action. But where that movie succeeded and it had like such a strong message, it had beautifully complex characters, this feels shallow because it's following a very shallow person who never really has to fully invest in in like divesting from that. Like it's he doesn't have to really pull himself down because all he feels like he's worthy of, even in his shallowness, is weird little quips and one-liners like, oh, we might call the podcast like Douchebag Goes West type thing. And it doesn't really skewer him in any way. So for him to then get this like, I don't know if you'd call it an aha moment, but some sort of motivating moment where he decides that he can in fact murder another human being and is justified in that vengeance for some reason, it doesn't feel like it's either condemning it really or celebrating it so it just feels like okay like what a weird one-off to give us well and there's lots of uh there's lots of privilege to be found in texas obviously Mm -hmm. i mean there's a lot of wealth there and even the people who are poor are you know in a lot of cases straight white people who 
have privilege right. in other ways. So th- there is something to critique, but it it does not feel like it's getting at that in a lot of cases here. It's it's mostly like punching down and saying, hey, like, look at these people. Aren't they stupid? And then it sort of does the pivot to turn and say, ah, oh, well, actually, they're maybe better than you, but not fully. Yeah. Um, so and he's seen as like, they're glad he killed him, right? Like, they're glad yeah. that he took on that mantle for them after after it was like a redemption for him within their eyes. But it's also like that's what frustrated me is that it feels like one of the most um, rightfully critiqued part of like the liberal white agenda is this kind of unwillingness to really do the work and instead look for shortcuts or sort of um, provocative uh, like grandiose moments to prove yourself but once you get tired of it or burdened by it you just have to like cast it off and we always consistently think that an eye you know like an eye for an eye like dog eat dog world and so the fact that this movie ends with you caused harm so I'm going to cause more harm is such a lazy way to explore um the or to condemn the problems of our culture because it's like that's that in itself is part of our problem is that we can't think of a creative new way to address issues. Instead, we just continue to fall back on, oh, well, you stuck it to me. I'm going to stick it to you harder type thing. And it just feels like such a lazy approach to finding justice or uh, salvation or fighting for equality or equity or whatever it is. Like the fact that he can hear this monologue and think, you know what? He is right. That would be exhausting for me to go through. And that would be hard for this family to go through. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a decision for everyone right now as some white dude who's been involved in this story for two weeks. And I'm just going to put an end to it. And it's just like, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's how um, I felt. And it was funny because right up until then, I was like, you know what? I kind of like this. Like, it's a fun character study. It's very much like, what's that yeah, Jack the, Black the, movie that everyone likes? Nacho Libre. No. <laughs> School of Rock. I guess now I'm doubting it's Jack Black. But um, the, anyways, goosebumps. there's just like so many weird indie films like this that are about like uh, Jumanji. <laughs> a company of people and and the weirdness at the heart of it but the fact that this then took a deep turn into just absolute i don't know almost anarchy it's just like well okay what yeah i feel like yes the ending is makes the whole thing weird um which i yeah i think we've i think we've hit that as hard as we can um (laughs) The a couple of other things I feel like to talk about in this. Okay. One is the music for this was all done by Phineas, uh, oh, Billie Eilish's yes. sister, and brother. I or yeah, but brother. And I, um, as I was watching, I thought like, oh, this is sort of a fun score. And then I got to the end, and I saw it was him, and I thought that that was just an interesting move. Obviously, they won the Oscar for um, the. James Bond song last year but I feel like the fact that Phineas now has done a couple of different um very low profile but like scores to movies is an interesting direction for him because you know like 
he's a music producer, but he's also like a pop star kind of, and he's working with his sister who is a, you know, a mega, a mega star to, 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 to see that he's like also has weird career aspirations to do like <laughs> film scores is yeah intriguing to me. Yeah. I noticed his name in the beginning and I was like, oh, okay. It seems like he wants to get out from under the shadow of his sister. Um, Though that's, you know, unsubstantiated and I'm making assumptions based well, on Well, I mean, I, I think if you were trying is. to get out from under the shadow of Billie Eilish, uh, doing the score of an indie film is not necessarily <laughs> how you would do that. It's a first step, Matthew. It's a first step, yes. Yeah. He could be the next Hans Zimmer, famously yeah. much more well-known than Billie Eilish. So. so did you like the John Mayer cameo? I... I... Uh, Kind so John Mayer's in the like in the an early scene in the movie at the at a party playing like a douchebaggy guy and him and Ben are just talking about like their one night stands. Um, well, to I, be fair, it's not always one night stands, right? Like F boy status isn't achieved just by you know notches in the bedpost. It's stringing along women and having people you can go back to. So right. they're talking about like people in their phone who yes. are like. Yeah, hot yes. delivery girl. Like, let's hook up now, type thing. But I thought it was a. I thought it was like, in. I couldn't tell if I liked it or didn't like it as a choice because John Mayer is sort of known yes. for that for being that type of person in real life. He's dated, you know, numerous famous women, and then also, you know, I'm sure has hundreds, if not thousands, of sort of like groupies <laughs> and whatnot. Yeah, and so to have him sort of like parodying himself I thought was sort of funny but then I was also like I don't think that you're not doing this anymore right. so to come on and sort of like recognize that it's bad but then also to be like yeah well I'm probably still gonna keep doing this what I'm like I don't I don't know if that's funny or if that's just kind of a dick move now <laughs> at this point I don't know I didn't yeah. it, it wasn't I did not think like, oh, wow, this was the best thing I've ever seen. I was sort of just scratching my head about it. Yeah, it kind of was like immediate ick for me. I was like, ew, I can't stand this movie already. And I recognized that was the intentional joke is like they're not trying to say these guys are cool. This wasn't like a bro-y comedy move where it's like, oh, well, men are so funny. It was clearly meant to be some sort of searing uh expose on the worst of douchebaggery but yeah it was hard to feel like it worked because it felt too real without really apologizing for it like it was almost like hey you want to see what locker room talk is these days like <laughs> this, we just ad-libbed this based on past experiences like I don't know it was kind of funny to have the two of them there and look so like I wondered I wonder what they wanted us to feel because I just walked away hating them both a little more, you know? <laughs> I mean, they definitely wanted you to hate them both at the beginning yeah. of the movie. Um, so I think that it succeeded in that front. But yeah, it, I wasn't... If it had been an, any other person in that role, I feel like I would have liked that scene because yeah. I thought, okay, this is like showing. But the fact that it's John Mayer who is that person, but I don't think, you know, it isn't changing from that. I thought right. sort of took the bite out of it a little bit. Yeah, um, exactly. You it's... know, if it had been like Seth Rogen or somebody in that scene, <laughs> I feel like it would have been more interesting to me. Um, yeah. But I did feel like 
I mean, BJ Novak's performance, I think, is whatever. John Mayer's fine. But I thought that the that the a lot of the other performances in the movie were really good. Boyd Holbrook plays the brother um, in Texas, and I thought he was a lot of fun in his scenes and very funny. Um, Dove Cameron is in this, who I is mostly like I know as a Disney Channel person. I haven't really seen her in anything else but i thought that she was funny as the sister and then jerry from succession is the mom and i thought she did a Mm. nice job also Issa ray is in this which is i feel like kind of a weird choice for her because because it was so white rob matt they needed to add (laughs) well yeah i i know that they obviously (laughs) needed to add uh, someone of color and i think it sort of legitimizes him as he's going through the story the fact that like she's on board with this but i'm surprised that Issa ray took the i mean she must know bj novick and he must have <laughs> asked her but i'm surprised that she took the role because this i feel like does not align with the values that usually she puts <laughs> forth in projects right. that she does yeah that's yeah that's true i think she did a good job i imagine it was probably i mean she's like writing a new show for hbo but I don't I have no idea what she's being offered outside of things like this cuz the last thing she did was Lovebirds, right? Um yeah, but like she was in Little, she was in the the photograph which I didn't oh, yeah, see, yeah, yeah. but like she was also had an episode in an Apple TV Plus show called uh Roar that I watched her episode of that was, you know, more about like race and thing. I don't know. I just yeah, feel yeah. like I guess it yeah, I see your point. I mean like, she does provide it doesn't I I was flippant and saying like oh they just needed a person of color because her being a person of color does add like commentary to her reactions to him as this white guy trying to tell her like I deserve a podcast because I have a theory and she's like okay. And I think there was a joke somewhere where he's like she she made some sort of joke about like race in Texas or something. And so I appreciated that perspective, but I do feel like it was kind of wasted and could have been stretched out a little more because yeah, really in the end, she's just a vehicle to tell him like, oh my gosh, you're great. Like this is going to be your next big ticket. Like way to go, dude. And it's like, also just randomly, I saw that Issa Rae is listed in the Barbie movie. Yes. That she's going to be playing Black Barbie. Yes. In the bar and then I'm and I'm looking at the cast of this movie, which like I have heard like lots of good people from, but this is like the most insanely yeah. stacked cast of people I have ever seen in a I movie. Know, There's I'm like so 30 A listers on this cast. And I'm sure that most of them are like cameos and stuff, but yeah. still fascinating. Well speaking of cameos, how did you feel about Ashton Kutcher? Ashton Kutcher, I honestly felt like was the weakest part of this movie. (laughs) I did not. When he showed up, I was kind of like, what have you been up to? Uh, (laughs) Not much. And Well, he's preparing for the 70s show reboot, the 90s show. Oh, are they doing a reboot of that? Yeah. See, I never watched that show, so I feel like I also am slightly confused. Like with BJ Novak, I'm like, why is Ashton Kutcher (laughs) famous? I'm like, I remember him from Cheaper by the Dozen, and I feel like that might be the only... Oh, Valentine's Day, I'm looking at his... Yeah, he does a bunch of bad rom-coms. I think this was his attempt to prove he's a serious... Not serious as in like, oh, I'm the next, next Anthony Hopkins, but like just a different flex for him. And 
I mean, you see that, you know, he's the bigger name in that movie, even compared to BJ Novak. So you knew instantly he was going to be the the problem child of the well, show. When he shows up, you're like, okay, obviously yeah. you're not just a one-off scene. Yeah. Like this is a role that's going to be important somehow or another. Yeah. And the fact that he's presented early as sort of this do-gooder, you're like, okay, well, you're probably the bad guy, Yeah. Um, which he obviously is. I don't know. I felt like, Maybe it's because the other people in the movie were giving good performances and his was just sort of, you know, average or kind of lackluster. But he he is like a music guru-y type of person. And his character is not that interesting in comparison to the funny stuff that other people are doing. And I don't know. It was just sort of meth or whatever. I, I, yeah. I kept like for like when I was thinking about this movie today in preparation, I had sort of forgotten that he was even in it because <laughs> the things about this movie right. that I re- will remember most yeah. are like the scenes of the family that he's not in. Yeah. Yeah. I think watching it, it was like he he does a good job of capturing uh, a certain type of annoying white woke dude and he's very like mansplaining in his interactions with the girls he's producing and also obviously with bj novak he has an interesting monologue about how some people are playlist people which i thought was was funny um where he kind of explains that some people just want to be told what to like and so it was nice to see like how Ben's character became obsessed with him and was like, wow, you're like so cool. And like you could see that there was an attempt to draw connections to how readily Ben accepted this white intelligent dude who was also from Harvard, well, New Haven, and how they were able to bond in, in a more easy way compared to the real human interactions he was having with other people. But again, that was never really like explored or or skewered in a in a meaningful way by the end of the movie. So it just felt like it felt like more and more that these were just little vignettes of types of people, but the whole puzzle didn't really come together in a way that made the picture interesting. Um yeah, yes, I would agree with that, I think. The the his character in yeah, it was it, it was a nice sort of um what's it foil to Ben yeah. I guess but but ultimately I, yeah I sort of felt I found I found their sort of dynamic and also that plot line like one of the lesser interesting yeah. ones so honestly my um, favorite was the little brother yes the little brother El was stupido, great which is such a rude thing to call your brother not El stupido well <laughs> I also love that the girls were all named after cities in one <laughs> Kansas City yeah. I was like this is great um <laughs> Anything else about this that we haven't talked about? I've been doing the Texas hand symbol a lot more. I didn't know that was a thing, but I really enjoy it. Wait, what's the Texas hand signal? Well, if you put down your two two fingers and hold two up and your thumb, it makes the shape of Texas. And a gun, which they did multiple times in the movie. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. That's true. And I was like, Mm -hmm. wow, that's so cool. I never never knew. So I learned a lot about about Texas. Texas. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, did you know the thing about the Six Flags before Absolutely this? Absolutely not. No, 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 no. Um, no. I think, you know, you have two two sides to the coin in Texas, too. So I haven't seen a Confederate flag in my entire time here, thankfully. 
But um, have you seen the fake Confederate flag? I have not. Uh, no. And I've also only been to Whataburger once, and I was not impressed. They have really good French fries, but the burger was disgusting. I went. I I think their breakfast is really good. Oh, interesting. They are They're like they have their Texas toast, which is a big joy. The like the like chicken honey biscuit thing that they mm. have for breakfast is very tasty. I will say. Okay. Okay. I'm surprised that I haven't been there with you. Well, because I don't go. Because well, I don't, yeah, but I'm surprised I didn't drag you at some point. <laughs> I'm sort of into Whataburger. You know, I, I love know. a regional fast food. Yeah. Thing. I mean, yeah. I guess. Uh, well, when I come down there. in January. Yeah. <laughs> Whataburger's on the list. Yeah. Okay. Well, next week is for bodies, sure bodies bodies, 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 bodies this time. I checked the dates and it is happening. I have to go see it alone. Is it scary? Um, is I it like don't... ready or not levels? I think it's less scary than ready. Oh, okay. It's okay, more perfect. of a comedy. Yeah, yeah. It's and there's not as many jump scares, I would okay. say. Okay. Um, it's more. Um, sort of creepy, right? In parts, but yeah. it's not not a lot of jump scares. It's not super gory. It's it's very funny. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, so that'll be exciting. Uh, also gearing up for our two hundredth episode. So if you want to leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts, you can do that. Send us a DM on Instagram at PS You're Wrong. Always a joy to hear from you. I have not seen any negative press come in about Shelby's take on Taylor and the rich. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad still you're disassociating Shelby. Uh, her take, not mine. Um, <laughs> we know where you stood. Okay. The split personalities <laughs> that came in. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm really excited for whenever we get to do an episode on She-Hulk coming out on Disney+. Oh Plus. Ooh, baby. I've been looking forward to that one. Is that something we have to put in the schedule or? No. Uh, okay. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I will not be watching. <laughs> okay, perfect. Well, uh, thanks for making me watch this BJ Novak movie. Hope it's another 10 years before I see him again. Okay, perfect. Great. Sounds good. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye.